Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. Let's just get right to it. We've got a bunch of spooky stuff for you in uh, today's episode. In a bit, we'll head to the woods and hear about a horror book inspired by the mysterious events known as the Dyatlov Pass Incident. But first, Rachel Harrison's novel, Black Sheep, takes its inspiration from something a lot closer to home for me, and I'm assuming you. It's about religion and family and, well, the devil. But in this conversation with NPR's Aisha Roscoe, she talked about finding that the horror is in the cynicism she sees in everyday life. That's after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR. When we meet Vesper in the new horror novel Black Sheep, she's a prickly 23-year-old waitress estranged from her family for years. Her father is nowhere to be found. Her mother, Constance, is a horror movie scream queen with a taste for the macabre and zero interest in parenting. The only love Vesper has is from her aunt and her cousin. But was it really love? It occurred to me then... That our past is not the truth. It's warped by time and emotion, inevitably muddied by love and resentment, joy and shame, hope and regret. I couldn't trust my own memories, good or bad. In Rachel Harrison's novel Black Sheep, Vesper questions all her memories. When she finally returns to the fundamentalist community that she grew up in to attend her cousin's wedding. And then, plot twist we discover it's not a Christian fundamentalist community. Uh Uh-uh. When this crowd is talking about the Lord, they are actually talking about Satan. Satanism is sort of just a cover for how fanatical these people are. What kind of religion it was didn't really matter to me. It was more about how much they believed and putting these people, her family, her community, at odds with Vesper, my protagonist. So it was less about how does this church I made up work or basing it on anything specific in reality versus just what does it mean when you come from a community that believes in something with all their heart and you just don't buy it and... When you're alienated from your family and community, what does that do to a person? And where do you go from there? And can you ever go home again? You know, Vesper talks about, like, Hell's Gate. They're believing the end times are coming and everybody else who's not chosen, they're going to burn and all this stuff. It made me think of, like, you know, growing up in church and you're hearing about these are the last and evil days. There can be, like, a lot of very violent (laughs) imagery that children are exposed to um, because I remember hearing last and evil days and being afraid because I was like a little kid. I'm like, I haven't even lived yet, but everybody else will be happy. (laughs) 
it's like kind of bizarre. It's interesting looking back because when you're young, you kind of just accept things as they are. You, yes. And then yeah. looking back, you're like, I was, I was young to be hearing about that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was like, that was very scary. And I didn't have context for this. In some ways, it can be very scary going to church. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you were like me and it was like, sit still, be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Is that some of what you wanted to convey? Like sometimes these things can be scary in general. Yeah. And everybody has their own different experience. I had some experiences with religion growing up. I went to a church that had pictures of the crypt keeper in the bathroom. That was like, Satan is watching you. Like these things we experience as kids, they mess us up great. So we can write about them later. For me, in, in that way, it was personal. But it was less about me thinking about how church is scary and more a product of doom scrolling, which I think we've all done quite a bit over the past few years. And just seeing a lot of cynicism and seeing people say, this is the worst time to be alive. Everything sucks. It's hopeless. And having to ask myself, is it hopeless? And writing this book through Vesper, she has that attitude of cynicism and just not having faith and feeling pretty jaded about it. Obviously, there's a very dysfunctional family in this book. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's kind of next level, but you know yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> I would hope everyone who reads this book comes away with it like, okay, my family isn't that bad. If Not anyone comes bad. away from Black Sheep and is like, you think that's rough, come to Thanksgiving at my house, then we're in trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously most families are not going to be as dysfunctional as this, but like you do this really great job of showcasing that there can be this awkwardness in, in family where, you know, Vesper gets along with some members of the family. She's annoyed by others, seemingly always at war with her mother. But she has this loyalty, say, to her cousin, and that's what brings her back. Um, and she forces herself into some type of reconciliation. What do you think about this idea of reconciliation and your family's always being with you or a part of you or making peace with that? Reconciliation is going to be different for everyone. I think in the beginning, Vesper has reason to have hope that it could happen and want it to happen. She goes home because she wants things to change. In those relationships, there needs to be give on both sides. And she doesn't really get give on the side of her family. So in this situation, people will have to read to see what happens. But I do have hope that people who have family issues can reconcile. But I also am a big believer in boundaries and protecting yourself. So I think with the knowledge Vesper has at the end of the book, I I think she would advocate for boundaries as well. <laughs> but it's our own. She had to go through the journey. To the journey to get there. To, to you know, to try and see and see what happens. Um, ultimately, when people read the book, it's not that you you want them to learn a lesson, but I guess 
when people read Black Sheep, what ultimately do you want them to take about this idea of belief? I hope when they finish reading, they, first of all, had a ton of fun reading it. I hope they were scared. And I hope that it's just food for thought. Just think about our relationship to faith and nature versus nurture. Those are big questions. I hope Mm. it just prompts some thought and that they sleep with the lights on. (laughs) (laughs) It keeps them up to think about these big questions. That is Rachel Harrison. She is the author of Black Sheep. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore makes products that stand the test of time and hope to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Empowering your best life in clothing that can be worn for just about any activity from running to yoga. Visit viore.com slash NPR to receive 20% off your first purchase and enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. All right, this next book is by Jenny Kiefer, and it's called This Wretched Valley. It's about getting lost in the woods, but it's also about spending time with someone trying to be an influencer, which is scarier? I don't know. I'm not sure. Here's NPR's Aisha Roscoe again. Imagine this. You're deep in the wilderness. It's cold and it's getting dark, but you and the other three members of your party can't stop searching for a mysterious rock face. If you find it, you'll be the first to confirm its existence, and your friend, Dylan Prescott, will be the first to climb it. But everything looks the same, and you're starting to lose your way. And you may not be alone. That's the plot from Jenny Kiefer's debut novel, This Wretched Valley. The wilderness horror starts with Clay, a University of Kentucky PhD student looking to finish his dissertation with a new discovery. He enlists the help of a colleague, Sylvia, and Dylan, a newly endorsed rock climbing influencer who brings her boyfriend, Luke. Jenny Kiefer told me last week that her new novel is partially a warning. Just because we live in the age of GPS and computer mapping doesn't mean the wilds can't still terrify. All of that technology doesn't really give you the same experience of actually being in the wilderness where you can get turned around really easily. Everything looks very similar, especially when there's no trail. And I think that in itself is frightening, let alone if there's something extra sinister going on in the background. (laughs) I feel like another character in this book is this rock face that Dylan is trying to climb and that she's excited about doing because she has this corporate sponsor. She wants to be a rock climbing influencer. She really needs it to work out. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So there is this almost this magnetic force pulling her towards the wall. So there's some moments in the book where there's really more pressing things happening that she should be focusing on, but she still just feels this pull to the wall. And that's really the effect of the valley specifically with the rock wall. And I think other characters experience that sort of influence in different ways. Your book is inspired by a true story. And I don't think I knew this story. Can you tell us about that and why you thought of that as a base for your book? Yeah, so it's inspired by the Jatloff Pass incident, which is 
this event in the 50s where these hikers went into the mountains in Russia and they sort of disappeared. And then when they were found several months later, when it was safe to go up into the mountain pass again, their bodies were just found in these really bizarre ways. And so that was sort of the inspiration for the structure of the book. So the book opens in the first chapter, you, you know, three of the four are discovered and their bodies are found in those really weird ways. And um, just sort of like the fascination around that event and how there's all these crazy theories about how it could have happened, um, ranging from, you know, very realistic to out there wild. And so sort of just like thinking about the structure of how that incident is told and the unsolved mystery aspect of it really intrigued me. And I think it's a kind of unusual way to start a book. (laughs) Did you always know you would start it that way? And were you concerned? Like, do I want to start it with that? I don't think I always knew I would start it that way. But I think once I started planning and then I was like at the same time, Learning more about the incident and the Dotloff Pass incident, I think that's sort of where that idea sparked. And to sort of make it more about not necessarily like what happens to the characters, but how did they end up that way? Mm. It feels like a lot of this story is about ambition and ego. Dylan, of course, was trying to work with her sponsor. She wanted to get famous. Then the other, um, Clay, he was trying to get his doctorate. So they're they're pushing through even though there are these warnings. And then there's some others that show up in the book that also seem to have been driven by ambition and ego. Is that where they go wrong? Are you trying to say something about ambition here? Yeah, um, so that that's, again, you've touched on one of the themes, and I sort of think of it as um, almost like arrogance, and um, as well as maybe sort of like a theme of environmentalism. All of the people who end up in this place are kind of of the opinion that the land is there f- for the taking. They can use this land um, for their own selfish reasons, and they don't really respect the land. They sort of see it as a way to improve their own situation, whether that's colonizing the land or whether it's trying to use it to make yourself famous or get a lot of money. Mm. Do you think of your own ambitions in some of those terms? Or, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're writing a book, it's not about you, but it's like, is that something that you think about in in your own terms? Because obviously you got a lot going on. You own a bookstore, a horror bookstore, you're writing a novel. That's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do have ambitions and I don't think that there's an issue or a problem with having ambitions, but I think you can make an attempt to have ambitions while also acknowledging it's not just you around. (laughs) Like, for example, as an author, you want to support and lift up your fellow authors and not make it just about yourself. Thinking about it in a more community sense or a more mindful sense, even though you have your personal ambitions, that doesn't mean you need to trample on others or, you know, ruin the environment to get there. That's author Jenny Kiefer. Her new novel is This Wretched Valley. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks.
That's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. Let us know what you think. You could write to us at bookoftheday at npr.org. I'm Andrew Limbong. The podcast is produced by Isabella Gomez-Sarmiento and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show Elements this week were produced and edited by Hiba Ahmad, Samantha Balaban, Melissa Gray, Julia Corcoran, Jill Ryan, Courtney Dorning, Erica Ryan, Julie Deppenbrock, Rina Advani, Hadil Al-Shalchi, and Ryan Bank. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. Your next trip is closer than you think with the Venture Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.